Chapter Twenty One of Concerning Isabel Carnby. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. Concerning Isabel Carnby by Ellen Thornycroft Fowler. Chapter Twenty One As It Was in the Beginning. Sometimes mortals find the portals of the fairy land, and they straightway through the gateway enter hand in hand. There was a long silence, then Joanna said gently, Are you doubted if he loved you after this? Isabel only sobbed. My dear, I am very glad you have told me, Joanna continued, as she softly stroked Isabel's hair. It is an unspeakable joy to me to find that Paul never really fell below himself after all. But you mustn't tell anyone else. It is now Paul's secret and not yours. Oh, I must! I must tell the whole world how good Paul has been, and how vilely and cruelly it has misjudged him. You must do nothing of the kind. If Paul has jeopardized his literary reputation to keep a secret, no one has a right to tell that secret without his permission. Don't you see how it is? He has thought nothing in the whole world of so much importance as the screening of you. Therefore it would be cruel indeed of you to undo his life work in a fit of hysterical conscientiousness. But it would serve me right for people to know how horrid and selfish and cowardly I have been, cried Isabel. Probably it would. But now I am considering what is due to Paul, and not what is due to you, my dear. Oh, Joanna, can you ever forgive me? I'm afraid I couldn't have done so when I was strong and well. But as I told you, things are different with me now. Yes, I forgive you, Isabel, though I confess it isn't in me to forgive as Paul forgives nor to love as Paul loves, but I cannot in the least understand how either of you did what you have done. You are both incomprehensible to me. Tell me how it happened. After I had quarreled with Paul, I was in an awful bitter mood, because I thought he was hard and cold, and did not love me as I loved him. I was ashamed of caring for a man more than he cared for me, don't you see? I'm afraid I don't see, but never mind. Don't you see that if a man gives his love unrequited, he establishes at once a claim upon a woman's gratitude and all woman's sympathy, while if a woman does the same thing, she is despised by one man and derided by the rest? It wouldn't strike me in that light, but go on. Then it occurred to me that I would write a book which should convince Paul that I was a shallow, heartless woman of the world, 
and that I was incapable of really loving him or any other man. It was agony to my pride to feel that perhaps Paul had only cared for me because I was considered a good match, and I meant to turn the tables on him and wound his pride by making him believe that I had only been playing with him all the time just to amuse myself. A severe punishment on Paul for the freaks of your own imagination, my child. All the time I was writing the book, I thought only of him and how I could manage to hurt him. I did not care a straw whether the novel was a success or not, or whether anybody read it except Paul. But when it came out, it made a hit, as you know, and everybody was talking about it. Yes, I remember. Though people thought it clever, they did not really like it, and they said nasty things about the author. Joanna nodded. Nothing knew better than she did the nasty things that had been said. Yet she did not remove her caressing hand from the bent head. And then, continued Isabel, I was in a perfect frenzy of fear lest they should find out that I had written it and should begin to look shy at me. I cared so much for approval and admiration that I thought it would kill me to be disapproved as society disapproves of the author of Shams and Shadows. I used to lie awake at night wondering whatever I could do to put people off the scent. Well, and what happened then? One day, when my terror was at its height, I heard that Paul had told Lord Robert Thistledown that he had taken the name of Angus Gray. I saw in a flash what that meant. It meant that the man whom I had wounded and insulted understood better even than I did what a disadvantage the authorship of Shams and Shadows would be to me, and had therefore shielded me at the expense of his own literary reputation, and had taken my punishment upon himself. Joanna's eyes were shining. It was a fine thing to do, for Paul's literary reputation was no light matter to him. I know it wasn't. It was the best thing he had, and he gave it up to save me. That night Joanna lay awake, thinking over the strange story she had heard. It must be wonderful to be loved like that, she said to herself, and because nothing this side of heaven can quite stifle the cry of the human heart for human love, if the human heart happened to be a woman's, there were tears on Joanna's lashes when at last she fell asleep. Isabel also lay awake that night, torn by the conflicting emotions of love and pride, and because when these two come into conflict the rest is a foregone conclusion, she wrote the next day to Paul. My dear Paul, will you forgive me? not because I deserve it, but because I love you. Yours as you would, Isabel Carnby. 
then followed a season of great anguish of mind on isabel's part she now felt absolutely certain that paul no longer loved her and would therefore humiliate her by refusing her forgiveness and she decided that she should at once hide herself from the world in a sisterhood and spend the remainder of her disappointed days in conventual seclusion she even went so far as to decide that she should call herself sister mara because life had proved so bitter to her isabel was nothing if not dramatic the answer to her letter came by telegraph expect me thursday paul isabel was alone when this telegram was brought to her and as she read it she flushed with joy he hasn't wasted a minute she said to herself he must have started as soon as he had my letter and be travelling night and day without stopping she then looked at her reflection in a mirror and laughed softly because she was still young and a man loved her she was very human even at her best but when thursday came she was dreadfully frightened it was one thing to feel conscious of her power over paul while half a continent divided them and quite another to feel conscious of her power over her when she was expecting to see him face to face every minute when at last he did arrive joanna went into the hall to meet him but isabel was stricken with that paralyzing form of shyness which so often seizes us when our heart's desire is within our grasp and makes us wish for one mad moment to throw it away because we have longed for it so passionately so she remained alone in the salon and looked out of the window and her knees felt as if they were made of muslin like the knees of dolls then someone opened the door and shut it behind him and at that her heart beat so violently that the very snow-clad mountains outside began to tremble and shake as she looked at them with a supreme effort she turned round and tried to repeat the appeal for forgiveness which she had prepared but she could not utter a word because paul's arms were holding her fast and there was no need to utter a word because she had seen paul's face life's altar of roses is as rare as it is precious and it takes the sunshine of many summers and the braving of many thorns to produce a single drop but that drop when produced is worth all that it cost and the perfume of it will last for ever so paul and isabel thought during the next half hour after the lovers had returned to earth isabel said i shall now tell the whole world that i wrote that horrid book and that it has misjudged you all alone and then every one will know how splendidly you have behaved you shall do nothing of the kind sweetheart and paul kissed her again but i must i could not bear for you to bear the blame any longer still you will have to bear it my darling i could not bear 
any one to have it in his power to blame you and i must have my own way this time but it isn't fair i can't help that i can stand it very well when people say things against me but i could not stand it at all if people say things against you so i'm acting from purely selfish motives when i say that the secret must always be kept for my sake but paul how can i show my gratitude to you and my penance simply by doing what i ask and by giving no one any excuse for finding fault with my wife it was a horrid book said isabel sadly i know it was dear heart but you did not mean a word of it you know i wrote it in a temper a vile hateful disgusting temper i know you did but the world might not understand this as well as i do and therefore might misjudge you and the world shall not have the chance i really was frightfully angry with you said isabel now reveling in the contemplation of dangers past i used to rack my brains for things that i could write to vex you when did you begin to love me again queried paul isabel pondered for a moment i think i really must have loved you all the time or else i could not have hated you so paul laughed life had been so serious to him of late that it was delightful to hear a woman talk nonsense again and will you go on loving me always he said i shan't be able to help it when i once care for any one i am like a five-pound note on sundays there is no possibility of changing me my dear one how sweet you are how did you find out that i was the author asked isabel trying to tie a knot in paul's watch-chain i knew it at once i also knew that you had written it to hurt me and what is more that you had succeeded beyond your wildest expectations poor old paul did it make you very angry not angry but i confess it hurt me more than i had believed i was capable of being hurt but i soon forgot this in my fear of the secrets coming out as to who was the author and my knowledge of how much the disclosure of this secret would hurt you and then you decided to pretend that you had written it it seemed to me the only thing to do to ensure your permanent safety as when people once knew a thing they naturally ceased to speculate about it and they had already come to the conclusion that the book must have been written by someone in your set of course i knew that your publishers any day might show up my false pretenses and disgrace me in the eyes of the world which would never believe in the purity of my motives but would condemn me as an errant impostor to the end of the chapter but i also knew that your publishers would not do this without permission from you 
and angry as you were with me i did not think you would deal me this final and irrevocable blow because i felt sure you would understand my reasons and would know that i had done this somewhat doubtful action solely out of consideration for you i understand this at once i knew you would paul continued but you see dear other people might not have done so and they might have fancied i was no better than a literary thief trading upon a reputation which really was not mine isabel was silent for a moment then she said i told joanna i could not help it paul's face fell he could not bear to feel that even his sisters should have the right to sit in judgment upon isabel and you must also tell your father and mother persisted isabel i could not be happy if i felt that they still misunderstood you i don't know about that but i do if you will give way to me just in this i will do what you want about everything else and no one but your own people shall ever know that i wrote shams and shadows and paul reluctantly consented shams and shadows made a lot of money said isabel but i could not touch a penny of it i hated it so much that i gave it all to charity paul could not help laughing a somewhat strange reason dear heart but by no means an uncommon one he said then followed a very happy week paul and isabel were naturally in a state of bliss and joanna rejoiced too and on her own account for the doctors told her that the heir of davos had done her all that they had hoped and far more than they had expected and assured her that she would get quite strong and well again and this fact doubled the happiness of the other two for paul loved his sister very dearly and isabel's heart was filled with thanksgiving to feel that she had been allowed to be in a measure the means of joanna's recovery and so had done something for paul in return for all that he had done for her but paul could not stay with them for more than a week so he went back to his work promising to return for joanna and isabel when spring returned to england when he had been back in london for about three weeks his father wrote to tell him that miss delicott was very ill and had expressed a great wish to see the minister's son once more so paul ran down home for a day or two things were brighter at the cottage than they had been for some time for mrs seaton had begun to gain strength as soon as she heard that all was well with her children and that health had returned to joanna and happiness to paul and her husband felt better and younger because she did paul had written to tell his mother that all was right again between himself and isabel he gave no explanations nor did mrs seaton require any for she was wise enough to know that if people love each other 
explanations are never needed and if they don't love each other no explanations will mend matters when paul went to see miss dalicott he found her extremely weak and shriveled up into a little raisin of a woman but her diction was as choice as ever it is unspeakingly gratifying to me to see your countenance once again my dear young friend she began and excessively kind of you to snatch a brief moment from the busy round of your incessant and onerous duties to give such pleasure to an infirm and aged woman who perhaps overstepped the rights of friendship in putting you to such trouble not at all miss drusilla i am awfully glad to see you again and i only wish that i could see you looking better that my dear paul is a wish which can never be fulfilled in this world but the young should not be made gloomy by the contemplation of sombre and serious subjects therefore let us divert our thoughts into a more invigorating and cheering channel so paul told the old lady about isabel and joanna and their life at davos and about his work in london and his hope that he and isabel would be married some time during the year then beginning while miss drusilla listened with the greatest interest and made her usual long-winded comments at last she said i feel that i owe it to you my dear young friend to offer some explanation of the fact of my so specially desiring to see your face once more and of my venturing to put you to the trouble and fatigue of a journey from london by the oracle expression of this desire on my part it is a pleasure rather than a trouble said paul kindly it was very good of you to want to see me and i was very pleased to come but all the same he really was surprised as naturally miss dalicott had never been a special friend of his the fact of the matter is continued the little spinster you bear a strong facial resemblance to someone for whom i entertained a warm regard a considerable number of years ago i dare say your sound and vigorous judgment and accidental physical lightness appears a somewhat unsound basis for interest or attachment but the fact remains that it does form such a basis in my case though i should agree with you that from an intellectual standpoint the position is untenable oh i can understand as much as that for actually i once held a poor woman's baby for her while she scrambled up to the top of a london omnibus and an extremely unattractive and unfanciful little brat it was simply because the woman looked tired and her eyes reminded me of isabel's dear me how very interesting i trust that you inform miss carnby of this somewhat romantic incident as it would surely have proved most gratifying to her oh no it wouldn't she would have been dreadfully hurt 
at being considered to resemble the middle-aged wife of an impetuous artisan women are never pleased at being thought like anybody who isn't well dressed i have discovered i remember isabel was quite angry once when i showed her a peasant girl by jerusalem and said it reminded me of her and she told me that if i said she was like a fashion plate she should have been far better pleased and she really would added paul laughing at the remembrance the feminine mind has certainly some strange inconsistencies murmured miss ducilla unconsciously straightening her cap of course it has that's why it is so fascinating i would not give a fig for a woman who had no bewitching little vanities and the funny thing is that they are not vain of the things which really are a credit to them but of the things which are a credit to their dressmakers now take isabel she is awfully pleased with herself when she has got a new frock on but she never knows that it is her figure which makes the frock look so well and she thinks far more about the color of her gowns than about the color of her eyes but here paul was mistaken i should have imagined that men with their robuster minds and sounder common sense would have despised such small vanities as these remarked miss dalicott not we we like them i always used to think that a profound and scholarly mind would not find happiness apart from profound and scholarly companionship and would experience an extreme distaste for what i might call foolish and frivolous society but i learned afterwards that these views of mine were incorrect i am afraid they were a faraway look came into miss drusilla's faded eyes her thoughts had gone back to the long ago when i was comparatively young said she dreamily i was honored by the friendship of a most cultured and accomplished man he was a great scholar and under his tuition i made myself proficient in both greek and latin it is true that i loved learning for his own sake but i loved it still better for his and i worked long and late in order to render myself more fit for his companionship and more congenial to his taste as you will perceive i felt it only natural that so profound a mind should shrink from the society of the flippant and the unlearned i see said paul and his voice was very tender my friend's profession was tutorial continued miss dalicourt and in later life he became the headmaster of one of our great public schools he and i were so intimately acquainted that i speculated much as to his future and i felt sure that if he ever did enter the holy estate of matrimony he would naturally required a helpmeet 
who would could assist him in the fulfillment of his scholastic duties and accompany him in his ceaseless pursuit after knowledge paul felt very pitiful the world is so full of sad little mistakes like this which are too pathetic to be said sometimes and too commonplace to be tragedies did you study very hard he asked indeed i did i overcame the difficulties of the greek and latin tongues with amazing rapidity at least so my dear master did and he counted me his most successful pupil and then said paul then it happened that a young lady came to pay a lengthy visit to friends in her neighborhood she was well born and possessed considerable personal charm but her ignorance was something appalling i recall that she once asked before a room full of people whether homer wrote greek or latin and if caesar were a poet and miss dalicott fairly shuddered paul could not forbear smiling miss drusilla was so intensely shocked at the mere memory of those atrocities yet in spite of all this continued miss dalicott my friend married her why he did so was always incomprehensible to me as they two could not have had a single idea or interest in common yet he did it i shall never forget a visit i once paid to them not long after their marriage she endeavored to make use of a latin quotation and actually yes actually my dear paul she made it a false quantity and she the wife of a headmaster good gracious said paul whatever did the bridegroom do it was then that he showed the marvelous mobility and patience which always struck me as so much in my contemplation of his character i realized what he must have suffered as a false quantity was always torture to his cultivated sensible ear if one of his boys were guilty of such a thing he straightway chastised the offender when i made a false quantity he blamed me severely and said that his nerves could not stand it then what did he do to his bride my dear his amiability was something marvellous i was so grieved for him so ashamed that i could scarcely look up but he rose to the occasion he said not one single word of reproof though i know that many were burning upon his tongue but he just laughed and went up to his wife and kissed her do you ever hear of such an instance of more heroic self-restraint paul thought that he had but he did not say so he sympathized with miss drusilla but he also sympathized with the headmaster did she seem very much ashamed he asked not at all that was the most painful part of that most painful scene the careless young thing was as callous as she was illiterate 
she merely laughed as if it was nothing more than a joke and called my dear friends a silly boy it struck me and it strikes me still as most unseemly epithet for any right-minded woman to apply to her husband especially when he was a man of between thirty and forty years of age and one of the greatest greek scholars of his day where is your friend now miss dalicott sighed i grieve to say that his earthly career was closed some years ago his wife was taken first and he survived her only for the space of a few months some persons not intimately acquainted with the parties concerned said that his death was due to sorrow for hers but i think this statement must have been incorrect as so uneducated and frivolous a woman could never have been a thoroughly congenial companion to so erudite and wise a man therefore i conjecture that the approximation in the respective dates of his and her demise was merely a coincidence paul did not feel so sure of this he could imagine that a world depopulated of isabel would be quite too desolate for human habitation but all he said was it is an interesting little story so it was but the interesting part of it was the part that the poor little miss dalicott was incapable of seeing people who tell us a story often tell far more than they intend and in fact far more than they themselves know they open the door that we may have a peep into their back garden and they have no idea that to us that peep includes a distant and extensive view which their short-sighted eyes have never beheld my friend was a most fascinating individual continued miss drusella dreamily endowed with unusual natural gifts which were perfected by the most assiduous study he was withal the most modest man i have ever met in person my dear paul you strongly resemble him it seems perchance strange for so trifling a detail to remain in one's mind for a period of over forty years yet i can still vividly recall the color of his hair which was precisely of the same shade as yours then paul said good-bye to the little spinster as she was growing too tired to talk any more and he never saw her again a fortnight after his visit to chayford miss drusilla died and when her will came to be read it was found that she had left her entire fortune amounting to some thirty thousand pounds to paul seaton end of chapter twenty one recording by linda marie nielsen vancouver b c